So, Destination Marriage Part 2, the title of the message is Between the Isle and the Altar. Between the Isle and the Altar. Uh, let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get started with this message. Heavenly Father, we ask that you speak to us through your word. And I ask that the words of my wife and I, and the meditation of all of our hearts, is pleasing in your sight. May we see Jesus and him only. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So take out your bulletins. Looks like this. Because in the bulletins we got a couple things for you. Uh, number one, we have a save the date, which is uh, May 8th and 15th. My wife and I, she's going to be joining me on the Deep End Podcast live on Wednesday at noon. I am? Yes, you are. At 12 noon, and we do a podcast every Wednesday at 12 noon. We're going through the book of Revelation, but now we're going to take a break from that to talk about marriage because we know that marriage is a seriously difficult um, relationship for a lot of people, and we know that there's lots of questions around marriage, sex, dating, divorce, all those things. What does the Bible say? Well, we're going to give you that opportunity to ask questions. So as we go through the topics today and you have more questions, just do this. Text your questions anonymously to 508-316-9333, and we will get to your questions on Wednesday. Now, if you can't tune on Wednesday, tune in on Wednesday, and obviously many of you can't because you work, uh, just tune in anytime afterwards because it will be posted to our YouTube page and uh, to the podcast, and, and then you can get those questions answered. All right, also in the bulletin is your notes. Take that out, fill in the blanks with us, follow along with us, write it down for later, and uh, I believe God has a word for you today. The first thing, Cheryl, and I want to talk about is this. The problem that I see and we see, and we've talked about this a lot in our preparation, is that marriage, more than ever before, is misrepresented in our culture. That's right. Well, and firstly, so, I just want to say good morning, Minsocket. Yeah. I'm very privileged to be able to be here today yeah. with my husband, my handsome husband. Um, yes. <laughs> so we... A couple of years ago, Tim and I went on vacation to Florida, and Tim was really trying to impress me, so he printed out the pictures, and they looked so amazing. Of the hotel. Of the hotel. And um, we were so excited. We got to the airport, we got a rental car, we got to the hotel, and when we got there, I, I really try not to complain, because he, he says I'm a complainer about the smell of a hotel, so I tried not to, but the place smelled bad. It, it was bad. And so we got into the elevator, and it was very sketchy. There was these little pamphlets, business card type things of call girls. And we were like, what the heck is yeah. this? And it had like that weird ambience, like Shade type music playing in the background. And we were like, what the heck? <laughs> so we were like, okay, we got up to our room, and it, it, it was just, it was bad. So then we quickly realized this was the type of um, hotel that was like by the hour rental. Yeah. We didn't stay there for the night. No. <laughs> but, so. the, but the problem with the hotel was the pictures online were gorgeous. Yeah. Has that ever happened to anybody? Uh, we did this another time with a Groupon vacation. Yes. Avoid oh. Groupon vacations. It was bad. <laughs> that should be a law. We should just pass a law, right? That should be in the Bible. Avoid Groupons. Vacations, that is. Because we just stay at these places, and we, we, they look on... Anybody can put something on a photo and make it look good. That's right. Well, the reason why we say that is because that's where marriage is. 
Marriage is, in many ways, misrepresented by the social media of our generation, the Instagram generation, the perfectly choreographed and presented kind of like engagement moment. And I'm not disparaging people. We're not disparaging yeah. people who do no. that. It's fine if you want to do that, but don't fall into the trap that the perfect moments that are recorded in those half seconds in which those pictures are taken represents what marriage is. Because if you do that, you'll sign up for something and you'll get to the hotel and you'll realize this stinks. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is nasty. Uh, so we, we have a quote from Tim Keller. So Tim Keller writes, when you first fall in love, you think you love the person, but you don't really. You can't know the person right away. That takes years. You actually love your idea of the person. And that is always, at first, one-dimensional and somewhat mistaken. And so we call this message between the aisle and the altar. Um, how many of you ever heard the joke? And this is an old... Corny joke. Corny joke. Where there's a girl, she's about to get married, and it's like right before the ceremony, and so she's so, she's so nervous, she can't control herself. So the wedding coordinator says, uh, I got some things for you to think about before, for you to help calm down. So she says, first thing you're going to see is the aisle. So I just want you to think about the beautiful aisle with the flowers and the rose petals and all that stuff. And then you're going to see the altar when you get to the end of the aisle. Then you just think about the altar and the moment in which you're going to become joined to your husband. And then when you get to see him and you face him and you take him in your, his hands in your own, then you can think about your husband, your man. And so she does. She goes down the altar and she thinks about those three things in that order. And so she's starting to meditate. And so follow it with me. Aisle, altar, him. I'll alter him. And so, yeah, there you go. All right, now you're getting it. It's a play on words because we all come into marriage with our aisles. Not A-I-S-L-E, aisle, but I apostrophe L-L, aisle. Okay? So we all come into marriage with aisles. And the reason, this is why... I wanted my wife here today because I want her to speak with you ladies and for you ladies because we men don't understand you ladies. And uh, I, I think she can speak to the situation going on in a lot of women. So there's three seasons we want to talk about with marriage. There's the pre-marriage, like before you're married, and then there's aisles there. Then there's early marriage, and there's aisles there. And then there's troubled marriage, and there's aisles there there. So Cheryl, before marriage, what are some, you, I asked you to come up with these, what are some of the aisles that an unmarried woman brings into her marriage? Okay, so I think some of the women might say, I'll get, finally get out of my home, uh, get out of my parents' home, I should say. Um, I won't be lonely. I'll have someone to talk to all the time. All the time. <laughs> I'll be happier, um, and I'll start a family and have a baby. And uh, one more you have there. I'll, I'll be like my married friends. Oh, yes. I'll be like my married friends. Because everybody's doing this on Instagram. Oh, I want, it. I want that. I want that. But maybe you're not ready for that. The aisles can trap you. So some uh, young men. Actually, there's only one aisle, I think, from young unmarried men. <laughs> and that is, I'll get sex whenever I want it. That's not true. All right, early marriage. Okay, so early marriage, I'll change him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Mm -hmm. um, and then after having kids, we say, I'll never be cheated on because we have kids. 
I'll give all my energy to my children and they'll come first. And so as a woman, what we do is we focus on only being a mom and we kind of let ourselves go. We don't really focus on taking care of ourselves and being our husband's girlfriends. We just kind of fall into the role of mom. And so we, you know, we just kind of let ourselves go. And And you're talking about physically. Physically. Something now she mentally, came up with this, ladies. I didn't come up with this. But you said that. When we were pre preparing this, and I thought, yes, it's true. How many times do we see? And I'm not t saying that we're looking at you people. No, uh, no, <laughs> no one in this room, but lots of times we see these ladies, and they get kids, and before you know it, they don't. It's like they don't care what they look like. Right. And then there's there's a problem here, because the men in young married uh, situations, um, they do something worse. Well, you know, equally bad. Here's what a man does. I'll relax my romantic game with her. I got her, so now I don't need to romance her. And so, so many times, we follow the course of the world, the course of culture. The, you ask yourself, the movies, the romantic movies that you watch are all about the romance up to the marriage. Even the great Disney movies, which we let our kids watch, and with the marriage, and with the wedding, sorry, and with the wedding. And then we never get to see post-wedding. In fact, there was only one movie that was ever done post-wedding or post-get-together, and that was called The Breakup. Anybody ever see that movie? It was the most depressing movie on the face of the earth. We watched it, we were like, ugh. Uh, and so a man says, I'll relax my game romantically, or he says, and this is a big one, guys, I'll never be tempted to cheat. Now, when you're young in marriage, guys, you think we're going to have sex all the time, and so the, my, my lust problem is over. Nothing could be further from the truth. Marriage does not solve lust. Jesus solves lust. So what we have to remember, and I've seen this so many times in young men, they'll go for about five to ten, marriage, uh, five to ten years not being tempted to cheat. She has the kids, and she does her little aisle, I'll, I'll just focus on the kids now, I'll, and then un, unconsciously or subconsciously, I'll let myself go because, after all, I got him, and he's letting his romantic game go, and now we're not even working on the marriage anymore, and guess what happens? Now, I'm not getting the beauty that I married. She doesn't put any effort in. I don't put any effort in, and then there's a girl that comes along, usually about 10 to 15 years younger, and she thinks the world of him. And before you know it, a guy who would have said, no, never, not me, early in marriage, suddenly says, well, I think I deserve it. Because after all, look what's happened to us. So you've got to watch out for the aisles. Yeah. And we're all, we're all guilty of this and many other things. Because marriage is going to be the most challenging relationship that you will ever be a part of. So there's young married aisles and then... Uh, Cheryl, you said this about when, when the man starts to think, I'll relax my game romantically and then I'll never be able to cheat, there's a vicious cycle. And yeah, a vicious that's cycle right. Is. So, you know, we kind of just become a mom. You let yourself go. You get frustrated, irritated all the time. And then he's not romantically interested anymore. Yeah, and then you and become gets... like the sexless wonder or like he used to call me the sex camel. <laughs> <laughs> you know, be careful long what we let ago, out up here. Long time ago. 
So you, we have to be careful of that. Yeah. So that it doesn't... I used to call her the sexual camel. I did. All right. And things have changed. Hallelujah. No, you know why we're going to oh share these gosh. kind of things? It's because... No, we want you to know that we're not perfect. We're in this with you. Like, the stage does not make you perfect. If anything, it challenges you more. Because I get up here every week, and I say things that are right, that I don't do, every week. And then I got her. She's, she's got a front row seat, not only in church when I say it. She sits right over there. But she's got a front row seat to my real life when I don't always live it. So you guys got to realize that the reason why we want to be transparent is because we don't want you to feel like you're in this alone. And I think that that is one of the best ways to overcome the troubles that we face in marriage, to know that it's normal. And because if the devil can convince you that you're the only one, you're the one with the wretched, sick, insidious disease, and all the other people at church have got it going on, and they're fine, and you're sick, how much easier is it for you to check out on faith? How much is it easier is it for you to think you're a lost cause, you're out of here? So that's what we don't want. So I'm glad you said that. And you're not the sexless camel anymore. You're, you're not a sexual okay. camel anymore. All right. Okay. Move on. You're like a sex kitten. What? Amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll just scratch that from the tape. We'll just scratch that from the tape. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, troubled marriage season. So before marriage, early marriage, troubled marriage. And troubled, we were almost going to say 10 years in, but trouble happens throughout marriage. Mm -hmm. You might be early trouble marriage. You might be late trouble marriage. You might be 10 years, 20 years. I don't know. You're going to hit trouble. Um, so I think there's only one aisle. And we both said this. There's really one aisle when you're in a troubled marriage. I'll get out and find someone who will love me or who will treat me the way that I deserve to be treated. Mm -hmm. And that's the mantras of our age. Now, the problem is that statistically, you have almost a double chance at getting divorced in the second marriage. So if you're going to say, I'll get out of this marriage with this person who's not loving me the way that I deserve to be loved, and I'll go find another one, 70% of the time, second marriages fail. 70%. So you're not actually increasing your odds of success. And if you're one of those people who has already gotten divorced, you're like, oh, great, here they come with this stuff. I feel guilt. Look, we're not asking you to undo your past, and there's forgiveness for that, but we're asking you to not, not um, uh, what do you call it, idealize your future with these aisles, okay? So the problem with the aisles is because we usually enter into what I call a security company marriage. You ever get a security company to come out to your house to, you know, kind of like spec it out? and then they give you the price, and they give you the, the program. And these people, you ever do this? These people come to your house, and they treat you like you are king and queen. And then they, they wine you, and they dine you, and they tell you how wonderful everything is going to be. They're going to take care of you, no problems whatsoever. Just call us, da 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 da, da. And then they get you to sign on the contract. And then everything changes. It's like they don't even know you exist. Right. It's like, well, who are you? Oh, and then you call for customer service, and... You are number 18th in the queue, you know, and, and that's kind of what a, a lot of marriages are. We give people our best before we get married. Then we get into marriage, and we sign on the contract. 
And then we just back off. And before you know it, we're not talking. We're not communicating. There's tons of problems. We can't get help. And we're number 18 in the queue. And this is the problem with a lot of marriages. So today is about what is a marriage? And the problem here is we treat marriage like it's a contract, and it's not a contract. A marriage is not a contract. Let's all say that together on the count of three. One, two, three. A marriage is not a contract. So I only, we only got one point for you. I usually have three. We got one point, but there's several points underneath this point. One big point. I want you to write it down. The Bible describes marriage as a covenant, not a contract. And these two things are hugely different. Malachi 2.14, the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by, say it, covenant. So show, tell us the difference. Okay, so I wanted to talk about what the difference is between a contract and a covenant. Okay, a, a contract is all about limiting responsibility and protecting our rights. Um, my rights, my property, my safety. You draw up a contract for self-preservation. If the person doesn't do this, uh, or um, I, I get this, I will not lose what is mine. Um, a lot of people see marriage this way, but a covenant takes responsibilities and surrenders rights. So, so it's, it's, like yeah, it's pretty opposite. much the opposite of what a, a, a contract is. So this speaks of promises, responsibilities, and death. So you promise to take responsibility even to the death for the sake of the relationship together. And this is marriage in the Bible. Now in the Old Testament, covenants were made with sacrifices, blood, and promises. There's no covenant in the Old Testament where there's not some amount of blood or promise mm -hmm. or sacrifice. So this is so different. A contract is about self-preservation. A covenant is about others' preservation. This is why it's not a contract. Because a marriage has to be focused on not what I'm getting out of it or what I'm supposed to receive. You're not living up to your end of the bargain. And so then I won't do what I'm supposed to do. And so that's, that's contract marriage. A covenant marriage says, I am going to surrender I am going to limit my opportunities, my freedoms for you. Now, Tim Kelly does a great thing about this. And a lot of people say, well, I, I don't want to give up my freedom uh, to be married because I love my freedom. Okay, well, listen, if you want any kind of meaningful relationship in your life, you have to limit your freedom. Otherwise, it's not a meaningful relationship. This doesn't just apply to marriages. This applies to friends. It applies to relatives. The moment that you enter into a meaningful relationship, meaningful relationship with someone is the moment you say, I'm going to lay down opportunities that I could otherwise have for the sake of building something with you, right? Uh, so now we're, we're going to unpack uh, the, th the fact that the altar, so we live between the aisle and the altar. We got to go past our aisles and get to the altar. Why? Because covenants are all about death. Right. That's why we say marriage is killing me. <laughs> um, so covenants require sacrifice. Covenants are about the other person. So you have to learn to die for the sake of marriage. And if, which, which and if marriage doesn't kill you, kids will. 
Yeah, or your dogs. Or your dogs. We're learning that one now. Yeah. Don't get dogs. No. Uh, we're back to that now. All right, so we're going to unpack responsibilities for him and for her. The things that a man and a woman must do. Now, there are two passages in the New Testament we're going to particularly look at. Well, actually one, but they're, they're basically saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. In Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3, the Bible, the scriptures, Paul the Apostle clearly unpacks the roles of men and women in marriage. And what you see from both Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 and actually 1 Peter 3 is is actually that in every case when the Bible speaks to married people, guess what? It talks to wives first. It talks to wives first. Now, why am I emphasizing that? Because wives, women, guess what? You are the shapers of your marriage. You're, it's your ground zero. I'm not saying you're to, you're to blame or to take responsibility for it. What I'm saying is if you want change in your marriage, Paul, the apostle, says it begins right here with you. You've got the keys. You've got the keys. Are you going to turn the key into a terrible marriage or are you going to try to do it God's way and turn it in the direction of God's ideal for marriage. And if you say, well, I'm not sure that they're going to live up to what they should do if I do that, guess what, you're just, guess what you just did? You just made a contract again. I don't want to give up my rights if, if, if they're not going to live up to their... I want to make sure that they do... No, 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 that's contract. That's contract. Covenant is you do what you should do regardless of what they're going to do for you. And, this, and I think that if we can get to the point where wives do what... Paul's going to say, and men do what Paul's going to say, and not keep waiting for the other person to do their job, we can start to build a good marriage. Mm-hmm. Amen. So, Cheryl, take it from here. Ephesians chapter 5, 22. Okay, so Ephesians 5, to 24 says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so if you're taking notes, write this down. Submission means I voluntarily limit what I might do naturally in this relationship in order to benefit you. Now there's, there's a lot of baggage around the S word in church, in, in the world. And what the baggage is, is... Um, due in many respects to a lot of bad marriages in the church. So submission we have equated with, oh, this, this means that a woman's supposed to be a doormat. And Cheryl's going to get to that wrong. And here's the thing. Um, I'm pretty sure that every woman deep down inside knows that this is what should happen in the home. They know. Now, C.S. Lewis you guys, anybody a C.S. Lewis fan? You should be a C.S. Lewis fan. He wrote one of the greatest books in Christian history. It's called Mere Christianity. If you ever struggle with your faith, if you ever doubt if God is real or if Christianity is the way, please read that book. It will change your life. There's a whole generation of people there saved because of that book. Well, in that book, he doesn't just talk about defending the faith. He actually talks about marriage, and he talks about roles in the home. And he says this. It's so fantastic. I've heard a lot of mere Christianity quotes. I've never heard anybody quote this, and it's because it's kind of on the nose for women in marriage. 
And so what he says, basically, the argument that he makes is, I, I absolutely know that women know they should submit to their husbands because when they see another woman who isn't submitting to her husband, they hate it. So here's the quote. Here's what he writes down. Watch this. Even a woman who wants to be the head of her own house does not usually admire the same state of things when she finds it going on next door. She is much more likely to say, poor Mr. X, why he allows that appalling woman to boss him around the way she does is more than I can imagine. <laughs> and this really is why he says basically, that this is C.S. Lewis now, this is why what God has said in his word we really want. Hmm. But it's so easy to see somebody else not do it, just like with every other sin. It's so easy to point out the sins of others but not see it in ourselves. So go on with submission. So understanding submission. Okay, submission will look scary if we isolate that scripture. Wives, submit to your husband. It's kind of like the verse that everybody likes to pull on its own, especially men. Um, when we see this verse in light of all scripture, we know that this is not a permission slip for men to abuse or oppress their wives. Christians believe men and women are different by design, but this is not about value. It's about roles and gifts. Um, the culture tells us that true equality can only be achieved by sameness, and the standard that they hold, funnily enough, is to men. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's just hang around there for a moment. That's something that you came up with, and I was like, you're right that the culture today says the way that we get true equality... Well, the feminist movement. Yeah, and the way that we get true equality in our world today is to just say that men and women are the same. And it's like, and, and then the, the ironic thing is that the standard that we hold everybody to is men. Then if men are the standard, then not everybody is the same. And, and what you have to understand, in, in the summer, and you remember this, I preached a message called Feminism and Toxic Masculinity. It was in the Hot Topics series. And I, in that series, I preached about homosexuality, transgenderism, sex outside of marriage, adultery, all the hot topics, and racism. And then I preached about feminism and masculine, toxic masculinity. The only message that some of, most of you had a problem with was that one. And I thought, wait a second, that just betrays the reality that many of our Christians sitting in our churches are more influenced by what they're hearing through the culture than what they're hearing from God's Word. You can't let culture shape your idea of men and women, you can't. Right. You're a Christian now. Culture is lost in regards to what a man is. Culture is lost in regards to what a woman is. And so we have to watch out for that idea that let's make them all the same. Let's, the more that we make women and men the same, the better off we are. No, no. They're made differently. Neither one is more valuable. They're equal in value, but they're totally different in roles, responsibilities in the home and in giftedness and natural tendencies. Cheryl will be the first to say this. I, if, if you ever passed away, God forbid, right? Yeah. Our kids would be like mentally insane. <laughs> they would not grow up right. Yeah, I don't know. They would be, they would be wrecked for That's life. Problem. Yeah. And so anyway, back to what you were talking about, because I, I just wanted to point that out. Okay. So. She's a great mom. Thank you. Fantastic. Okay, so submission is, is not being bossed around. That's number one. Number one, point number one. Um, a lot of women fear that uh, when they're going to get married, that means losing their freedom. Why should I give up my rights or my independence? So they throw away the whole idea of submission. And if we are afraid of what submitting to a godly man might look like, uh, sorry, what might take from us, our first response shouldn't be 
to challenge the authority, mm. but to examine our fears. Mm, that's good. Okay, so number two, submission is shaped by our submission to Christ. Ephesians 5.25 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, if you don't know how to submit to, to Christ, you're going to have a hard time submitting to your husband mm. properly. So submission to Jesus must shape mm-hmm. a wife's submission to her husband. Now, the Lord does not boss you around. No. He's not cruel. He doesn't overrule. He's, he wants what's best for us. Mm. Um, you say, uh, what happens when, or I'll, I'll ask this question, what happens when a woman, and there's probably many, who are not married to a Christian? Uh, well, you don't expect him to love you as Christ loved the church. And also, I, I mean, a, another answer for that would be that um, the same thing would be to submission. In 1 Peter 3, 1 to 2 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, mm. they may be one without a word, but by the conduct of their wives, when they see you respectful and pure conduct. Now, that sounds so crazy to us, right? This sounds like, oh, my gosh, even if? But there we go. That's why it's not a contract. It's a covenant. Right. If, if you're not married and you're thinking about getting married to a non-believer, I mean, you guys hear me say this time and time and time again. Please don't do it. Run for your life. Run, Forrest, run. Seriously. Get out of that situation. It's not worth it. You're thinking only about what you presently feel. You're thinking about, oh, it's, again, Instagram marriage. Can't wait for the wedding. Can't wait for the... Please, Cheryl and I, our wedding was over like that. And before we knew it, we were married. And it was like how much energy and money goes into the marriage and nothing about after the marriage. Thankfully, our wedding was extremely cheap. I think it was extremely cheap. And I don't say that because I'm upset about it. I say I boast about that. I think our, I think our whole wedding cost cost $5,000, the whole thing, everything. Yeah. And uh, yay. And that was before Pinterest. It was before Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a good thing. Yeah. So go on. Okay. So, number three, submission is about meeting your husband's greatest need, which is respect. And I think a lot of women struggle with that. Um, The dictionary says it like this. It's to admire deeply as a result of their abilities. And it actually means to think well of someone. And a man really thrives on being thought well of, celebrated, and appreciated. Yes, men will, in our modern age, get dressed up in tights and play football in front of people to get celebrated. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Where else do men wear tights? Where? Like, nowhere. <laughs> and ballet. Where? Ballet. Yeah, ballet, please. Okay, there's, there's four guys on the planet that dress up to do ballet. There are, you know, millions of little boys dreaming of putting on the tights for the New England Patriots, you know, or the New York Giants or whoever. And it's just the point is that's what respect is. Respect is to celebrate. Um, your husband is, is very much like a perpetual child in this regard. And we love praise. Now, there are many times when I will preach and everybody will say, wow, that message was so great. But if she doesn't say it was great, it's like a failure to me. I need her to think well of me. I need her to sell it. This is a need. It's not something that I say, men, just get over it. No, 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 this is what you need. Otherwise, the scriptures would not say, wives, respect your husband. If men did not need it, God would not say it. 
right? Right. Just makes sense to me. So it's like you say, well, and when he when he starts doing some stuff, I'll respect him or I'll celebrate him. Uh, you need to learn how to again covenant and do it without first expecting your rights to be protected and your your uh, responsibilities to be limited. Well, Rick Warren says it like this: A marriage is not made up of two great people, but two great forgivers. Yeah, and you need to forgive one another, and you need to let things go, and you need to move on. But ultimately, it's about doing what you should do for that person because they need that from you. They need it from you. Now, wives, I'm gonna, I'm bearing down on this because your husband won't tell you this, but I'll tell you this for you, for him. I'll tell you, I'll say this for him. There's a little voice in the back of every man, every man's head, there's a little voice. And that little voice says to him, you're a fraud. You're not as good as you think you are. You're a nobody. People can see right through you. You are going to fail. It's just a matter of time before you get found out. There's a little voice like that in every man. And I only know this because I heard it from another preacher, and the moment that he said it, I said what many of you are probably saying about us right now. Thank God he said it, because I thought I was the only one. This is true, and you got to remember that we are, um, ad, uh, we are corrupted by Adam's failure. What was Adam's failure? Adam was with Eve in the garden while she was listening to the serpent. It was his job to protect her from the false doctrines of Satan. God gave him the law before he gave him Eve. He was supposed to teach her. He was supposed to lead her in the truth of God, and he abdicated that role. And ever since that failure, ever since that failure, in the back of his mind, he's been saying, I'm a fraud. I'm no good. I'm going to get found out. And her respect for me, her praise for me, is like cherished rubies. It's just, the, it's like water to my soul. But there's a problem. He comes from an Italian family. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> and I come from a very conservative South African, South African family. British family. So that's not necessarily my strong strength. Mm -hmm. You know, I, my parents were like, well, just do it, do it. Yeah. His parents were like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to learn and teach myself to be able to do that with him. Yes. And one, I'm trying. One time. I don't always, I'm not always successful, but. You're getting better. I'm getting better. <laughs> By force. <laughs> By force. <laughs> my, one time my mother celebrated the fact that I learned how to play a board game by reading oh the directions. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, we're we at DEFCON 3. We were playing a board three. game, and his, his mom was trying to, they were trying to, and if she's watching, she knows I love her. And I. Yeah, hi, Mom. So anyways, we were playing a board game, and Tim couldn't figure it out. No, no sorry, none of us could none figure it out. But he was it. sitting over there reading the instructions, and then finally... He said, okay, this is how we do it. And, she's, and t she said, how do you know how to play, Tim? And he said, I read the instructions. And his mom went, you read the instructions? <laughs> that just said it all to me. I was like, okay. I've been a praise junkie yeah. my whole life. My mother would have said, just read the instructions. Yeah. So there you go. Your, par your parents are, you just do it because you should do it, period. My parents are, wow. oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. Amazing. You are amazing. Wow. And they have a lot of 
adjectives to describe everything. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's good. Yeah. And, I, and when no. she says that, what do you mean nice? Like nice, that's nothing. <laughs> Tell me it was to die for. When it Tell is, me it was the best sermon you've ever heard in your life. No. Precious. It was precious. Yeah, precious. <laughs> a great marriage is made up of two great forgivers. Amen, somebody. Amen. So that's a, mar- a woman's role. And that's why Cheryl is up here with me. I really wanted her to share that for you, ladies, and for the men. And, and, and seeing us talk about this together, hopefully that's, you know, bringing a lot of weight into what we're talking about. Let's talk about men, because men, you guys have a responsibility. And I don't think you have an easier responsibility. In fact, I think you have a heavier responsibility. And I think that God designed that. I think God designed for men to bear up a lot of weight in their lives once they're married. Here's why. Because a heavier truck drives straighter. A heavier truck can't take crazy turns off the highway. He has to drive straight. The best opportunity for a heavy truck is just keep going straight. There's a lot of young guys here, and your aim in life is freedom, time to myself. I don't want to take on too much responsibility because I want to have time. Time and young men are a disaster waiting to happen, a disaster waiting to happen. You need to get married. You need to have children. You need to have dirty diapers. You need, you need this. That, I'm telling you, it has been the thing that has kept me straight and kept me out of so many bunny trails of distraction, uh, of the devil's plan. When I got that weight behind me, and I got three little hungry kids behind me, you know, and now two dogs, <laughs> which if anybody wants, just let me know after service. No, I'm just kidding. I need to drive straight. I got some, I got some, I got some freight on this truck. So this is why I have a hard time when I watch guys string ladies along for like years and perpetuate adolescence. Adolescence used to be age what? Like 12, uh, 6 to 15? 18. 18? Yeah, maybe 18, right? And now adolescence is like 12 to 45. <laughs> and, and we're actually, we see it like it's, all, it's celebrated in our culture to stay single, to get everything together. And then some guys, they give us this excuse. I can't stand this. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough money. You'll never have enough money. Cheryl and I were dirt broke when we got married. We had nothing. Remember when I picked you up? Uh, no, I'm sorry. When, when we went to your house to get your things? And you had just a little box. Oh, my gosh. My mother had it. We went on our honeymoon. I came back, and everything was in a box outside of my room. My room was repainted, redone. <laughs> she was like, you're not coming back. Was, That's right. Okay. That's how you do it, parents. Yep. They get married. You, you redesign their room, and you get them out. Uh, but we had nothing. We had nothing. Uh, we were paycheck to paycheck. We were bargain shoppers. And we had a broken down car. One car. We were at one time for like five years in our marriage, we had one car. We had to share one car. Uh, totally broke. And that was um, probably the best season for our life. Yeah. You got to learn how to get through that season so that you're well equipped for once you start making money. Because if you just, listen, let's just, I'm just be honest with you. If you just show up on time and you work hard, eventually you're going to make money. All these people who are complaining that they're not making enough money, they don't want to work. 
period. There was a report that just came out from, this, from, the, uh, from the Consumer Bureau of our government. They just said, uh, standard of living has never been higher, and on average, people are making, on average in America, people are making almost $27 an hour. It's never been higher. Never been higher. And yet we get all these politicians talking about how broke you are. Nonsense. People aren't broke by accident. They're broke because they don't want to work. And if you work, God will bless it. Some of you are waiting for God to bless you, and you're not working. Give him something to bless. Give him hard work. Give him effort. Give him integrity, decency. Give him going the extra mile. He'll bless that. All right, anyway, you're getting me on a tangent. But let me go through headship. Here's what it says to men. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. Okay, so again, heavy load here. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ugh. Okay, impossible standard right there, right off the bat. But he, what did he do? He gave, him, he gave himself up for it that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. In 1 Corinthians 11:3, it says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Some of you might say, I don't believe all that order in the home stuff. Well, don't argue with me. Argue with Paul. <laughs> argue with the scriptures. I'm just reading you straight from the scriptures. And from Genesis to Revelation, this is the ideal this is the idea. Equal in value, different in function. Equal in value, different in function. The man is the head. Headship, what is it? So headship is not bossing around, like Cheryl said. Headship is not, I'm going to make sure that you serve my needs. That's not leadership. That's not Christ-like leadership. What does Christ say? You want to be great? Serve. You want to go up? Go down. That's how you serve in the church. The reason why the world doesn't like this is because they model a leadership model that says all the people you lead are supposed to serve your needs, accomplish your dreams, be all about you and what you want to get out of life. Wrong. That's not the mantra of Jesus. This is what the most countercultural message in the world today because this is the most narcissistic age I've ever seen in my whole life. Narcissist. Everybody's supposed to serve my needs. The whole of the universe is supposed to wrap around my dreams for my life. What are you smoking? <laughs> All right, come back to earth. Come on. We need you down here, right? Pick up a broom and sweep, right? Serve somebody. Do something for someone else. Stop falling for this. Seriously, stop falling for this. And there's a whole bunch of pastors you can watch online that'll feed you that nonsense and they'll say it's from the scriptures. And it's not. It's garbage, because you are not the center of the universe. Neither am I. Christ-like leadership lays down for the person that you're serving. So headship. Okay, our go ahead. son, the little one, Jake, you all know him. We were driving, and this is just a, a, a picture of how he thinks the world, well, he thought the world, he was the center of the universe. We're driving, and he looks out the window, and he says, Mom, why is the moon always following me? <laughs> I'm like, uh... It's not. I'm not following you, Jake. <laughs> right. But that's the mantras but, of our exactly, age. Exactly. That just kind of... Anyway, sure. headship, number one, is for the security of the body. So Christ theologically gives us security 
protection against what? Does anybody know what he protects us from? Anybody? From the wrath of God. That's the theology. That's proper theology, friend. He does not just save you from hardship and save you from suffering and save you from struggle. Wrong. He saves you from the wrath of God. God said to Noah, you have found favor with me. Build me an ark. Get your family in the ark because I, God, am sending a flood that's going to wipe out the earth. The flood was the wrath of God. Noah was in the ark and he was protected from the wrath of God. Thousands of years later, the angel comes to a girl named Mary and says, you have found favor with God, and you're going to provide an ark for humanity. His name is going to be Jesus. And then Jesus, when we are in Jesus as our ark of safety, we are protected from the wrath of God. Now, that doesn't sell well in American Christianity, but it's true. It's true. The holy, righteous God does not judge us for our sins. Why? Because Jesus took our judgment 2,000 years ago on the cross. And we are free from that. Now, God chose to do this because he loves us, but he did that. So Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to protect her. Number two, so you've got to protect your wives. Number two, headship is for the empowerment of the body. You've got to empower your wife. Your wife. You've got to praise her. My wife wants appreciation when she does something around the house. She told me this. She wants me to appreciate and say thank you. And I'll tell you, I, 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 this is also a struggle for me because it's hard. I was the youngest of the family. So it's hard for me to say thank you. I was used to being served and, and being served, and then they'd say thank you for the opportunity to serve me. <laughs> She's like, hey, why aren't you thanking me for the opportunity to be my wife, right? No, I got I to gotta thank her and empower her. But look at this, what it says here about empowerment. Uh, verse 25, that he might sanctify her. Sanctify is the same word for to make holy or sanctif uh, sanctification. It means to set somebody apart for purpose. Husbands, that's your role as the head of the house. She's been given to you. Now you set her apart. You set her up for success in God's purposes. Does that make sense? You set her up to be that great. And I'm, by the way, I'm all for women being CEOs, elected officials, governmental. I'm all for that. In the home, though, this is the role. These are the roles in the home. So, so there's in the culture, the cultural mandate, Genesis 1, 28, rule and have dominion to both male and female. But in the home, Genesis 2, the man leads and feeds the wife for her empowerment. Uh, number three, Headship takes responsibility for the body. You take responsibility. At the end of the day, the buck stops with you. So isn't it funny how the text starts with the wife's opportunity, but then it says, wait a second, the buck stops with you, men. You take responsibility. That's what Christ does for us. He takes responsibility for us. Last passage I want to share with you, the last part of that Malachi 2 chapter, Malachi 2.15. Did he not make them one? He just talked about the marriage by covenant, right? Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. This is about your children. This is about the family, the, the, the lineage that will come from your life. It's, that's why I say it's not all about you. You are one chain, one, one link in the chain of genealogy that God is using to bless the world through his church. Be a faithful chain. Be a link. Be a faithful link 
and think long-term about those kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. I'm up on the stage, and Cheryl is up on the stage. Her, her grandfather was a pastor, faithful Pentecostal pastor in South Africa. My grandfather was a faithful Pentecostal pastor here in Boston, Massachusetts. We are not self-made champions of the faith up here. Those people thought about us by doing what was right, regardless of what the culture did. And if you like the fact that we are your pastors, well, thank them, because they did what was right genealogically for their, for their lineage. Amen, somebody? Amen. So guard yourselves in your spirit. Let not, none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, look at this, covers his garment with violence. There's a fatherlessness, pro, there's a fatherlessness problem in our culture. It's these kids, these school shooters, almost every single one of them, fatherless. Almost every person in prison today, fatherless. You want to you wanna get out? You want to get some young girl? You want to get someone else to come and love you the way you think you deserve to be loved? You are asking your children to suffer violence. The statistics bear this out. Reality bears this out. You got to stop it. You got to be a man. Take ownership of the freight that God loaded on your truck and drive straight. In, in, in conclusion, we got to forgive one another and we got to care for one another, and we got to say to each other, I need to do what's right for you regardless of what it's getting me. And Cheryl, you would... Well, we, and you also need to understand uh, covenant and what God's covenant is. It's, it's based on grace. And marriage must be based on grace. Yeah, grace. Amen. 